This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Hockey is Canada's official national winter sport. Some would argue that hockey is Canada's greatest contribution to world sport. And whether you are a diehard fan or a casual observer, Canadians generally regard hockey as their own. But in recent years, hockey has come under increased fire for a lack of diversity and for the pervasiveness of rape culture and misogyny at all levels. It's not all bad news. There are important steps being taken to make hockey welcoming to people of all backgrounds. What is clear is that even though the hockey world and its fans are faced with a moment of reckoning about ethics in the sport, hockey is far from losing its place in our national imagination as the game of myth and legend. Today, we discuss rape culture in hockey. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta. My guest today is Gianluca Agastinelli, who is a PhD candidate in the Department of Educational Studies at Brock University. His article, The Montreal Canadians Have Legitimized Rape Culture by Drafting Logan Mayu, appeared recently in the publication known as The Conversation. To talk more about it, he joins us today from Niagara Falls, Ontario. Hello and welcome to the show. It's really good to have you with us to chat about this important topic. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Tell us a little bit for those of us who may have missed the backstory about Logan Mayu, about why his, um, why the fact that he was drafted to the Montreal Canadiens sparked so much controversy recently. It was indeed a problematic draft pick. So Logan Mayer last year in Sweden, while he was playing with a different team on loan from the London Knights, had engaged in a sexual act and then proceeded to take a picture with his partner. And that picture was then uploaded to a group chat with his teammates without his partner's consent. So he was charged in Sweden with defamation and with offensive photography. That charge has since carried over here into Canada And Logan himself had asked to not be drafted into the NHL this year so that he would have a year to reflect upon his actions to grow and mature. Unfortunately, the Montreal Canadiens ended up drafting him first, sorry, in the first round, 31st overall. Mm -hmm. So this has sparked a great deal of controversy because it has pointed to the idea that Montreal as a team has privileged skill over ethics. We'll come back to that point about privileging skill over ethics, but I just want to get your reaction. Were you surprised by the decision from the Montreal Canadiens? I was indeed surprised. I thought because Logan had posted on his social media that he was going to forego the draft, that teams would have respected his decision. And in fact, in the days and weeks leading up to the draft, many teams in the NHL had made it clear that Logan was on their do not draft list. So I was surprised when Montreal proceeded to draft him anyway, especially in the first round. And I was shocked that Montreal had not been more proactive in their decision. So upon drafting Logan, Montreal had released a statement. It was not an apologetic one. And that Mm -hmm. caused the backlash. So only after 
social media and only after many commentators from all across North America had focused on this issue, Montreal was able to come out with a statement. That statement, I think, was too little too late. It did focus, however, on reconciliation. It focused on accountability. So moving forward, I hope that Montreal, as per Jeff Molson's statement, is going to really work to rectify their decision here. I was intrigued by the fact that as a young man in his prime, as a player with all his prospects ahead of him, he wanted to bow out of the draft for this year. How unusual was that? And do you feel that he was sincere in saying that he perhaps should not be considered this year for the draft? It was a very unusual decision. It's not something that we typically see in the in the NHL, but I think that, that is reflective of Logan's maturity. I think that that is indicative of the fact that he, as a player and as a man, did want to grow and change based on the errors in his past. We know that Logan is a young man. He was 17 years old when he committed the crime. And so now, as an 18-year-old, I think he is looking for ways to be accountable and to be responsible for his actions. In your article that I talked about earlier, the one that appeared in the conversation, you say that this decision by the Montreal Canadiens legitimizes rape culture. And we'll talk about the specifics in just a moment. But for those of us who aren't familiar with the term rape culture, what is meant by it? So rape culture is defined as a collection of systemic attitudes and behaviors that either normalize, trivialize, or even encourage sexual violence. So rape culture came to prominence in the 1970s. It emerged from a radical second-wave feminist movement that back then addressed pervasive misogyny, sexism, and violence that still continues today. So we see multiple iterations of rape culture in various contexts, including and especially in men's sports. Mm-hmm. How pervasive would you say it is in men's sport? I mean, I've heard about the sporadic uh, story that you know makes the headlines, but is this a, an endemic problem, would you say? Absolutely. And it's not necessarily centered on hockey. This transcends Mm. and it really does impact and inform a variety of men's sports. And the term rape culture is not always used to compare or to, I guess, discuss sports. And that's part of the problem. So we want to be using rape culture more when we are discussing or talking about sports because that term is an umbrella one that encompasses a great deal of different attitudes, a great deal of different behaviors, all of which reflect sexual violence. So I was having a conversation shortly after I had published the article online with an individual who would claim that Logan did not rape anyone or that Logan did not sexually assault anyone. And while that may be true, under the parameters of rape culture, what Logan had done is still an act of sexual violence. So it is very much prominent in sport. And based on my research, it is a growing concern. It's something that is not going away, especially here in Canada. What are some of the factors that contribute to it uh, historically, of course, but also more recently? Homosociality is defined Mm. as male bonds or male friendships. And when these are intensified and predicated upon sexual achievements with women, we see there the opportunity for rape culture to form and for rape culture to really pervade sport. So many homosocial relations or many friendships are positive ones that incite change and actually challenge and resist rape culture. However, there is a, a degree of toxicity or there's the opportunity for toxicity to form within these relations when men do not hold one another accountable for transgressive or criminal action. So what we see typically in sport, especially in the locker room, is a culture of silence that allows this rape culture to permeate 
because teammates are often fearful of speaking out against rape culture, especially if they are rookies on a team. So if a newcomer to a team of veterans feels uncomfortable, he may not speak out, he may not, let's say, depend on his own morality or moral compass. And what that does is forego one's individual ethics. And mm-hmm. so team identity becomes a very important process here. The formulation thereof is significant, especially when it relates to sexual violence on a team. So what we're looking for nowadays are ways to break up and to interrupt that dynamic to allow individuals to identify rape culture and to work to challenge it. I'm surprised you didn't talk about the role of technology. It's something that comes to my mind as uh, one of the great facilitators of misogyny and rape culture on the internet. Has the locker room, would you say, migrated online these days? Absolutely. What we're seeing nowadays is identified or described as the manosphere. And this is a Web Mm -hmm. 2.0 platform, which is essentially virtual rape culture. And social media plays a great role in the perpetuation of that sexual violence online. And we see it here in this case with Logan. This image was uploaded to a Snapchat group chat with his teammates. So what that tells us is that this probably and very likely was not the first image to have been uploaded to this group chat. So instead of seeing misogyny or listening to misogyny in the locker room, that has now gravitated or moved towards online platforms. And in fact, the NHL just last year had an issue with an Instagram account, and it ended up with one NHL player being banned from the league because of the comments and the images that were uploaded within that chat. So we do see a great degree of cyberbullying online, and with that cyberbullying comes a great deal of misogyny as well. I bearing in mind your point about the fact that misogyny and rape culture are not just restricted to hockey. I nevertheless have to ask you, given the fact that this is such a prominent issue within hockey and within and that, that hockey players have to deal with, what has the NHL done to respond to it, if anything? Thus far, I think the NHL has done very little. I think at least last year with the case involving a player from the Washington Capitals, they made it very clear that rape culture would not be tolerated, and so they did end up banning that particular player. However, there is little programming, there's little training for NHL players themselves to change that culture. And that culture starts very young, and that's a point that I want to make clear. Mm -hmm. Many of these hockey players start playing at the age of three and four, and they are immersed in a culture that continues to perpetuate the sense of sexual violence. And what I also want to say is that, of course, this is not universal and that there are many teams that are, in a sense, immune to this rape culture because they do not allow it to permeate within their locker rooms and amongst their teammates. However, there is an overwhelming sense that sexual violence as a systemic culture continues to pervade the NHL and informs other sports as well. And we see that as a performance of masculinity. And that's something that I think needs to be brought to the forefront here we're not necessarily arguing that men are bad and that boys are immoral. That's not the case. They are subjected to a culture that teaches them how to perform as boys and men within and outside of the locker room. Hmm. Uh, You've just picked up on something that I wanted to dig into a little bit more, and that is that people really start to play hockey. Young men start to play hockey at very tender ages, three and four. But I was thinking about people who participate in junior hockey leagues and they're away from their families. They are often billeted in uh, small towns and locations all over the country. Uh, They don't have a lot of social connection other than the team. 
what role does a coach play in that situation? They're not just the coach. I would imagine, and I, I'm, I've never been part of a hockey team, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that a coach in that situation is so much more than just a coach. Absolutely. So when players are part of a team, especially in hockey, because they're spending a great deal of time on the road, their teammates become their family members. They are their brothers. And that's a very important point to make because they are the first point of contact and they spend almost all of their time with these individuals. The coach in that role or in that capacity becomes a parent of sorts, a guide or mentor who is meant to actually counsel these individuals, these players. That coach or that parent figure is meant to provide sound guidance for these individuals. And that individual is meant to provide best practice or to model best practice for these boys and for these young men. That, unfortunately, is not always the case because those coaches are often products of the very same culture that continues to permeate today in sport. So the process is a cyclical one. And again, we're looking for ways to interrupt or to break up that cycle to inspire young men and boys to speak out against rape culture, whether that is sexual violence against women or whether that is reflective of men's sexual violence against men. There's a case right now which is ongoing in the NHL involving at least one coach previously who had worked for the Chicago Blackhawks. So we mm -hmm. see that coaches often perpetuate this violence rather than interrupt it. I'm Joyita Gupta. My guest today is John Luca Agostinelli, who is a PhD candidate in the Department of Education at Brock University. We're talking about rape culture in hockey, specifically the case of Logan Mayhew, who was just drafted to the Montreal Canadiens, a decision which has sparked widespread controversy. In terms of Logan Mayhew, one of the things that a lot of fans are saying is, well, he was a young guy. He was just being stupid. What do you make of fan reaction that takes that tone? It's been interesting reading a lot of the fans' reactions because many of the comments are indeed polarizing. So on the one hand, we have those individuals who are saying that what Logan did is unacceptable and that what the Montreal Canadiens did in response was equally unacceptable. On the contrary, we have fans who are coming to Logan's aid and saying that, again, this was a simple mistake. He was caught simply because somebody else had snitched on him. And those comments are reflective of rape culture because it tells us that this type of behavior is normalized within these cultures, within these institutions. So the comments themselves are foregrounding rape culture, but it is encouraging to see that so many people have pointed out the idea that what Logan did was indeed wrong. Now, no one, I think, has called for Logan to be banned from the NHL. Nobody was really out to cancel Logan because we want to provide Logan with the opportunity grow from his mistakes. We want to really foster a growth mindset that allows individuals to identify their wrongdoings and really work towards making amends. So by depriving Logan of that opportunity, we are depriving ourselves of a learning opportunity. So I think most fans recognize that. And in fact, I had been speaking with a number of individuals from the hockey community who sided with me in that Montreal had legitimized rape culture by disrespecting Logan's wish to not be drafted into the NHL this year. Mm -hmm. So even though Logan committed this crime of sexual violence, I give him a great deal of credit for at least coming forward and initiating the process of accountability. Mm -hmm. I wish to say that that does not take away, obviously, or detract from the fact that he had committed an act of sexual violence. But at least what we are seeing here is a young man who has committed to growing and to learning from his mistakes. 
Uh, yesterday, I was perusing the headlines and I came across this op-ed, which was published in the Montreal Gazette, and it reads, CAD with a camera was wrong and was punished, but it seems he is being pilloried less for what he did than for what he is, a man. Do you feel that that sentiment is maybe gaining some ground that Logan Mayu is being pilloried or is being uh, dealt with overly harshly because he's a man and uh, men are now on the back foot? What do you make of that? I think it's a form of toxic masculinity or a toxic performance of masculinity that perpetuates sexual violence. So I don't think that Logan has been, let's say, treated harshly in this regard simply because he is a man. It is a well-known fact that sexual violence against women is perpetuated mostly by men. So this is indeed a men's problem. And what I would like to see is more men speaking out about sexual violence against women to really educate boys and other young men so as to prevent sexual violence from occurring in the first place. So what I think needs to be brought to the forefront here is the fact that Logan did make a mistake. Obviously, it was an error in judgment, but the Montreal Canadiens validated that mistake. By drafting Mm -hmm. Logan in the first round, they allowed individuals to think that what Logan did was okay. And obviously, that is unacceptable. So this puts now Logan, a young man here, in a precarious position because he now has to perform in a year's time within a different dynamic. So I think had he been granted the privilege of bowing out from the NHL entry draft, he would have played juniors for another year. He would have had the opportunity to mature and grow. And he would have come into the NHL under different circumstances after Mm -hmm. having had that time off. So I think... A lot of the backlash is not necessarily targeted towards Logan because we know that young men do commit these sorts of crimes and commit these errors. The backlash, I think, was pointed more towards the Montreal Canadiens, not only for drafting Logan, but also for not, I guess, explaining why they had drafted him. They didn't rationalize immediately why they had done so. And the apology, like I said, came too little too late. And many critics, yourself included, said that in drafting Logan Mayu, they actually prioritize skills over ethics. It's something we just talked about a few minutes ago. How pervasive is this need to look the other way when it comes to uh, things that make us a little uncomfortable, things that make us question our ethics when it comes to hockey, so long as we win, of course? Well, I think it's commonplace. And I know that these NHL organizations really are fixated on winning. It is a game of money. So now what Montreal Canadiens, regardless of the backlash, have is a first-round pick in their arsenal. So they know that when all of this blows over, eventually they will allow Logan on the ice and he will perform well for Montreal and maybe even win them a Stanley Cup one day. So I see this as short-term suffering for the organization for long-term gain. Montreal has come out and said that they are now dedicated to educational programming to prevent sexual violence against women from occurring. And part of me really does hope that that is true. I hope that actions do speak louder than words. And I really do hope that Jeff Molson, the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, does commit to enhancing education for young boys and for young women so that sexual violence of this nature, we'll say, will not occur moving forward. And yet hockey is beloved in Canada. It's our national sport. And as I said, you know, people really love their hockey. And do you think that this love of hockey helps or hinders a conversation about the ethical quandaries faced by the sport? Are people maybe more hesitant to question things within hockey because it is so sacrosanct in Canada? 
I think some people are, yes, a little more hesitant to critique hockey because it has been part of the country's history for so long. And it's a sport that is discussed in the household. So most people here in Canada grew up playing hockey. So it is something that is very near and dear to them. But by the same token, because so many people grew up playing hockey and still do play hockey, they understand the culture from a firsthand perspective. And I think that gives them the opportunity to critique perhaps what they had seen or what they had immersed themselves in growing up. So because we have so many insiders, we'll say, within that culture, Mm -hmm. there is a great opportunity there to really unpack what has been happening for a long time and hopefully make changes and improvements to the game so that moving forward, our young boys and our young girls will be able to play within an organization that does not perpetuate rape culture or sexual violence. Uh, Speaking of young girls playing hockey, that's the flip side of this argument, that as much as we see a pervasive rape culture, uh, which you said, you know, is a is a is a problem for men uh, in in one sense. But we also notice, at least I notice the comparative absence of women from professional hockey, especially around the coaches that we were talking about, but just in terms of players as well. How much do you think that the absence of women in professional hockey has contributed to the enduring nature of rape culture and misogyny in the sport? I think that's contributed a great deal because hockey, especially in Canada, is still very much viewed as a men's sport. And I think that that culture needs to change as well. And I believe that that is in part why so many of the comments were coming to Logan's rescue, because so many men will say, especially when they were younger, had either witnessed Logan's behavior or behaviors that mirrored Logan's own. And they were not willing to critique that kind of conduct because either they themselves had committed it or because their own teammates had committed it. So what we need to see, I think, is a more prominent female presence in hockey, whether that comes by way of more coaching staff on the benches, whether that comes by way of more exposure or more investment in women's hockey. What we need to see is more female representation, and there should be more female voices within hockey. It is our national sport. But that does not mean that it is men's national sport. So obviously, um, we need to privilege more women in the sport. And I think that opens up a conversation, too, about how victims are treated as a result of sexual violence or rape culture. So I know that many of the articles online after Logan had come out on social media saying that he did not want to be drafted focused on the pick itself rather Mm -hmm. than the repercussions that are now going to I guess, continue to affect this young woman and all victims of sexual violence. What do you think needs to change? I mean, stepping beyond the specifics of the Logan Mayu case, what do we do to foster a positive culture of consent uh, and inclusiveness in the world of hockey? I think it starts with early education. And that form of learning can take place both in school in a formal capacity and outside of the walls of the classroom within these different hockey clubs and teams. So in addition to educating students about sexual activity and healthy sexual relations, we need to start educating them and start discussing sexual violence, especially against women. So I know when I had gone through the school system, I had no exposure whatsoever to sexual violence. That was not necessarily a topic that we had discussed as part of our sexual education. And it is certainly not something that was touched upon in sport. So the way that we approach sexual violence against women needs to be in a more proactive, educative manner. We do not want to simply punish individuals for their wrongdoings if there is no education that had taken place beforehand. But what we want to see is a more progressive, proactive way to educate and engage young boys and men 
so that we have a chance of preventing sexual violence in the future and so that we can inspire individuals to go forth and challenge rape culture when they see it. Gianluca Gastinelli, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Gianluca Castanelli is a PhD candidate in the Department of Educational Studies at Brock University. He joined us today from Niagara Falls, Ontario. If you missed any of our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.